This is Nature News from RSPB Scotland. Hello and welcome to our podcast, Nature News from RSPB Scotland. I'm Stephen McGee. We're going to be bringing you stories about nature from global news to the little things we're noticing every day. And I'm Kate Kirkwood. We aim to keep you in touch with nature as the seasons are changing. Nature is a massive part of my life and if you're listening I suspect it is for you too. And we want to celebrate that but we also try and understand the challenges it's facing. We're also really keen to hear your nature news, whether it's the little moments you've experienced or your thoughts on the big issues affecting the planet. You can contact us on Twitter at RSPB Scotland or you can email us at podcast.scotland at rspb.org.uk. And please subscribe and leave a review because it really helps other folk find us in the podcast jungle. okay it had to happen episode five the other four episodes have been recorded in fantastic weather because it has been the most amazing summer it has been beautiful beautiful summer um it is currently i would categorize it as moist rather than raining i think i think it was raining earlier on it's now it's now appropriately enough for autumn misty Mm -hmm, definitely quite misty and it's it's also it's awfee cloth it's you know, a bit, bit, bit close. close. The word I would use is probably dreich. Dreich. I think, yeah, it's a weird dreich close combo for, for our non-Scottish uh, <laughs> listeners. Close means unusually human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say. But that was in balmy. The, in the, in the balm, balmy. balmy. Maybe the not balmy. Maybe not balmy, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, sticky. Kind of sticky. Mm. So, um, the, well, that's the, that's the weather news. You get that as a bonus, right? But um, in terms of our nature news, uh, this week I had just one of those lovely little moments. Uh, I was out uh, in the Pentlands, which is kind of my local patch, and there's a wee bit of path in a completely neglected area, right? that runs in between two fields and hardly anybody uses it. It's a cut basically, a wee cut between two routes. And it's just been getting more and more neglected in a good way, right? Overgrown a good way over the past few years. And I haven't been there for a couple of years, right? Because it's on a route that I don't go on very often. So I was there last week on one of the beautiful sunny days we've had. And it was full of like, like peacock butterflies, loads of bees, a singing chiff chaff, two Js, not one but two Js. Wow. Um, I like, like, I'm only just learning about wildflowers as I go along, but like de- devil scabious, you know, the mm-hmm. weird purple, like pointy thingy, uh, <laughs> <laughs> ragwort. And it just, it was an example to me of how neglect can be a positive. Absolutely. I think when you've got spaces like that that are just allowed to kind of do their own yeah. thing i mean i don't know what that space has previously been used for no and uh, it may well have had a little bit of human design behind it oh, no, totally. it's, it's, it's basically it, on one side of it there's there's new planting like mm-hmm. native trees which is all good and the other other side of it's like like grazing and it's just a bit in between that nobody needs Excellent, so, so it's, it's just been nature. turned over for nature. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's well, yeah. well done to the humans that have uh, left either it alone. Ne- left it alone, definitely. <laughs> what about you? What's your news? Um, 
a lot of time recently been spent in the garden actually just mm -hmm. watching um as the season is changing um so i've been doing a lot of trying to grow things in pots in my east facing garden which means it doesn't get a whole lot of sunlight uh, throughout the day um but we have patches where we get some really beautiful strong sunlight and um just as sort of beginning to look at what's what's there for pollinators and how long the pollinators are around for actually right. really interested in what they've been what the bees and the hoverflies and the, the wasps actually still lots of wasps around what they've been getting into and uh, just really one of the things i really enjoyed doing is just sitting and watching what they're interested in um and thinking about okay for next year what can i put in that's going to keep them tidied like tidied over that period into the winter before they kind of either the populations die off or they go off into hibernation because one of the things i hadn't appreciated till we got a wee garden with the house we're in just now mm. it's like it's a constant rolling experiment isn't yes. it yes yeah definitely yeah, yeah. constantly changing and some things that work one year won't work another but um i was chatting to another friend friend about this actually the other day and she was just so excited because they've got a garden that's quite large um, and she was just saying, we now have something in the garden from February all the way through to late September, October that's in flower and it's just hoaching with bees. Yeah. And she's just so pleased with that. She, she's not a fan of the dandelions in her lawn, but we're working on that one. Oh, um, but there's bees and they've got food and they've got, yeah. there's, there's lots going on in the garden. So gardening for nature but being aware of how that changes i think is quite important and we should say we'll stick it in the in, in the in the notes for the show but there is tons of advice on the rsp website particularly on the nature on your doorstep section um which explains to you what you can do to make your garden better for wildlife or to use the tiny little spaces even if you don't have a garden it's really important if you've just got a windowsill or something and um, there are still things that you can do and there's going to be loads more actually coming uh, in the near future about that well, um, moving on from our news, there's one big bit of news that we wanted to bring you, which is uh, this week saw uh, all the nominations coming out for the Nature of Scotland Awards, which is, uh, you know, always a This is the 10th year of it, right? It is, and it's yeah. always a massive deal for us at RSPB Scotland. Um, and there is a new category to celebrate that 10 years, uh, which is the Nature Champions of the Decade. And the thing that is unusual about that is that the public can vote. So again, we'll put the link for that in the show notes, but do have a look, I mean, like the projects are oh, brilliant. The, the projects are absolutely stunning. I actually did some, did a vote this morning because I kind of went and had a wee look and just Vote saw, early, vote often. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> um, and if you want a quick link to the the uh, voting page, there's a, there's a tweet on the Twitter page, the RSBB Scotland Twitter page, with a bit of an introduction from uh, ranger hamza yeah and uh who i'm slowly learning more about but fascinating chap uh, and uh, he can tell you more about why this is such a special award as well so we are joined by our parliamentary officer nora casey now actually maybe the first thing is a lot of people wouldn't know that the rspb's got like bodies in the parliament right what are you doing there Right, well, hello, uh, there's one. Oh, there's two of us in Scotland and there's also uh, similar folks in England and Wales and Northern Ireland and we are there 
to talk to the politicians about nature and climate and tell them how important it is to restore nature in Scotland and work with them to make uh, Scottish legislation uh, for nature and for climate as good as it can possibly be. Right, so doing good stuff essentially. Yeah. Asking politicians is good, good stuff. So uh, the reason we've got you on this week is the programme for government has come out, right, which, which for uh, those of our listeners who are not in Scotland is kind of, I guess it's a bit like the Queen's speech, similar in Westminster yeah. in the sense that it's the to-do list, right, for, yes. for, 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 uh, for this administration. Now, Maybe where we want to start with that actually is that this is a this is a different kind of administration we're looking at because it's it, although we're not meant to call it a coalition is that right yes yeah it has got SNP and the Greens in it tell us a bit about that so the Greens and the and the, Scot- uh, the Scottish Greens who are a different party from the Greens in England signed uh, an agreement with the SNP with the Scottish government uh, a couple of weeks ago and that was verified by ratified by their membership. And uh, that says that they will work together on certain issues where they have common ground, such as the big one being independence, uh, some protections for private tenants, um, and quite a lot of nature and climate stuff, uh, particularly around um, working towards zero emission transport and housing, uh, but also a lot of the issues that the RSPB cares about. Uh, quite closely, such as the big one for us was nature targets, targets for nature restoration to match the targets that the Scottish Government put in place a couple of years ago, which are very ambitious for climate, uh, for getting uh, getting to net zero. The coalitions aren't necessarily a new thing. I know we're not supposed to call it a coalition. It's not a coalition because, just very quickly, because mm. they, the Greens are still independent on the issues where they haven't agreed. Yeah, so that's where it's, that's why we're not calling it the coalition. Exactly. That's where it's the, the, the difference is there. I think that's a really interesting point to make, actually, because it means that uh, Green Party members, etc., can still have that, that say in different ways. And yeah. I, I think it's worth, again, maybe for some of our listeners who are not in Scotland, the Scottish Parliament was, was quite deliberately set up this way. The, 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 in a lot of ways, the, the nationalist majority administrations we've had are... are go against the grain of the yes. system that was constructed. So so they, they, they've published this prospectus now, right, the programme for government. What, what are the key things in it when we're thinking about nature and climate and, 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 and where do they rank on our kind of absolutely brilliant to completely pants scale? Uh, nature targets is the big one for us, which is great news because we've campaigned really hard for that with Scottish Environment Link, uh, and a lot of our members and supporters have too. The slightly bad news is that it's not going to come for the next couple of years. It's further down the road in what they anticipate to be a five-year government. Uh, So it's not in this program for government as something they'll deliver in the next 12 months. They've also promised um, a new uh, nature strategy uh, in the next 12 months, and they've promised uh, to improve how marine areas are protected. Which, so, which is a massive deal for us, yes, right? That's something that the, the RSPB and its partners has been talking about for mm. a long time. Yeah, so Scotland is fantastic, is internationally important for seabirds, and we need marine, marine areas to be protected so that the seabirds have something to eat, among many other reasons, good reasons for protecting. Yeah, lots, yeah, yeah. And, and it's good for climate because you get seagrass and so on. The Scottish government has had already committed to get to um, 30 by 30, 30% of land and sea protected by 2030. But it's now going to make uh, some, marine protected, uh, some marine protected areas into highly protected areas. 
uh, where far less uh, dredging and so on will take place and it's going to put in place, finish the job of making, up, making the marine protected areas by putting in place protection plans for them. One of the things that jumps out at me about this is it's a it's a constant rolling process trying yeah. to influence mm. government, right? You know, a lot a lot of the time you look at things, and you think, oh, that's a win and it's done. But actually, then, well, then it's got to be delivered, and where does yes, it fit in? Exactly. Is that what it's like for you and your work? Is it yes. like more of a marathon than a sprint? Yes, and a lot of what I've just rattled off to you is not all, some of it will be delivered or should be delivered in the next twelve months, but a lot of it is yay. But also, it's a couple <laughs> of years down the road. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and yet you're telling us that it's that you're dealing with this very urgently and that it's a crisis. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit, uh, put your money where your mouth is time, both literally and figuratively, mm. because nature needs much more funding. Um, and they have promised multi-annual funding for the Nature Restoration Fund, but we kind of need to wait until the Scottish budget to see how much they're going to back that up by and, and where any other funding is going to fit in. Yeah, and I think when you're sort of looking at the sort of the long term, what is it that RSPB are going to be doing um, that's going to really speed that process up and really kind of create that, that urgency for uh, that change? Because as you're saying, it's, it's, it might look like we're promising, or Scottish Government are, are promising amazing things, but it's not happening just yet. What are RSPB going to do to make that happen faster, or hopefully faster? <laughs> well, just like everything else the RSPB does, uh, our strength is in our membership and our supporters. and. Uh, politicians love it when their constituents talk to them politicians of any any variety msps mps councillors so if you're listening to this podcast and you're in scotland but also if you're in the rest of the uk go and talk to your politicians about how important nature is you don't have to be an expert or know all the facts but if they know that more people care about nature then they're more likely to do something about it um, and part of my job is is making sure you do have more of the facts so that you can say vote for this amendment or don't vote for this one mm -hmm. um, but even if you don't have that just go and talk to them yeah and it's quite easy to do like i think one of the things that i'm so proud of in scotland is how accessible our msps are if you bump into Nikki Sturgeon down the street she'll uh, she'll definitely stop and have a natter <laughs> yes. um, but definitely all of our councillors you can email them obviously mm -hmm. but we have sort of social media and twitter and things like that which is always quite a an interesting way to start a conversation yep. having yes. those conversations as you say i think is uh, really really important yeah and um next year is is local council elections in scotland so again you should have lots of opportunities to talk to your councillors and candidates use those opportunities to talk to them about nature when Brilliant. they come and jab on your door excellent great well listen it is it's, it's really interesting to hear about it but but it's also great to hear that we can all do something to help support the work that you're doing so thanks very much for coming thank and talking to us about it thanks Nora. okay thank you see you again Now, if you're listening to uh, the previous episode of the podcast, uh, you will know that I was banging on and on about having been to Tyree. I'm going to bang on about having been to Tyree again. Steven, um, I know, I know, but um, it's not it, it was just so nice. But um, uh, one of the things that I did when I was there was a, a little bit of filming that will pop up on the YouTube channel some point over the autumn about Macha, right? Uh, now, Macha is that very special habitat that you get in between 
um, kind of grazing cultivated land and sandy beaches like uh, down the down the west coast like particularly in the in the Hebrides um, and it's a special flower rich kind of amazing habitat anyway I had a chat to our man and tidy John Bowler we sat down in the macher and had a chat about what makes it so special macher what is macher Okay, so maca is essentially uh, vegetation that grows on shell sand. So sand uh, that's blown up off the sea, bits, remains of shells, uh, very rich in calcium carbonate, uh, and then the maca is what grows on that, essentially. What's its defining characteristic to you, do you think? I mean, I mean to me it's like summery. <laughs> but yes. what's, yeah, yes. what, what, yeah. Yeah, no, it is. I, very much it's a summer habitat. You come here in the winter, it's, it's a very dead-looking place, just lots of dead grass, but in the summer it comes to life. Uh, and just a mass of flowers, as you can see behind me. Um, no, no, nothing particularly rare, no, no rare species here, but just an abundance of flowers that is such a rare sight in Britain these days. Yeah, because in, in a weird way, I was reading a bit about it, and actually, like you say, these aren't necessarily... Re- these would previously have been really abundant plants. Tell me a bit about that and how why this is the last refuge for a lot of them. Okay, so yeah, th- these are our, you know widespread species, uh, things like red clover, knapweed, eyebright. They're not, not particularly rare species, but to have them growing in this sort of number uh, is really unusual these days. And that's because most places have been fertilized with um, uh, inorganic fertilizers like nitrogen. And it, it just takes uh, the diversity out of the place. You get a rich sward of grass, but you lose the flowers. So having this naturally, just a simple grazing regime in the winter, this area gets grazed down, and then all these flowers can come through fresh the following spring. What does this What does this support as well from a wildlife point of view? Why is it important to us? So it's important for various reasons. Firstly, just for the flowers themselves. To see such a, a wide range of flowers is great these days. But the fact that these flowers also support a vast number of uh, pollinating insects, particularly bees and particularly bumblebees. And there's a real range and variety of bumblebees here, including the very special one, the great yellow bumblebee, which is a, a maca specialist these days. Uh, used to occur all over the UK. Uh, every county of the UK had them in the past. Now they're only restricted essentially to the Hebrides, Orkney, and a few patches of the north coast of Scotland where you still have uh, vegetation like this. This habitat is the best bumblebee habitat. Is, is that fair to say? Is this the best bumblebee habitat there is? Uh, I would say it probably, I'm, I'm biased maybe, but <laughs> I, I would say it is. In, just in terms of uh, abundance of, of bumblebees and the, the range of species that you get here is unlike anywhere else in the UK. So we have the great yellow bumblebee, very rare maca specialist, but we've got, there's a red tail bee, the red shankarder bee, which is only on Col, Tyree and the south of England. It's a really strange distribution. It would have been in other places in between in the past, but it's been lost because of loss of flower-rich meadows. Uh, so it makes all places like this all the more important. What's it like to be... I mean, the sun's just popped out. Yeah. What's it sound, feel, smell like to be in in the summer when it's at its best? Uh, yeah, so maca changes through the course of the summer and it changes colour. So right at the very start, it's all about the daisies and the yellow of buttercups. And then it goes through the reds of the clovers, ends up with the purples of uh, orchids, which have gone over, and now knapweed. So there's a range of, of species all through the summer. It's a really colourful display. Um, 
a fantastic sense. I've got no sense of smell, so that's lost on me, but uh, apparently it does smell wonderful and changes during the season because of the different range of species here. Things like ladies' bed straw, species that would have been used to put in uh, ladies' beds to, to make them smell nice in, in olden days. Uh, so yeah, a real range of species, uh, lots of different smells, lots of different colours, and each species attracting different species of insect too. So it's a really diverse habitat here. But from your point of view, what does it feel like for you to be here? I think it just it's summer. That this is me. Summer on Tyree is when the flowers are out, and we just go for a nice walk at the weekend. Uh, we can't help ourselves but count bees. That's just just the way we are. But uh, it, to come out here on a summer's day like this, with the sun shining, that's what Tyree is all about. It's so good to hear uh, John talking about the macker. Um, it's one of those Scottish habitats that I have such a love for. Um, my first experiences of the macker, um, I didn't know what it was actually. <laughs> um, for me, macker brings up a um, couple of different smells, different sensations, different thoughts, uh, mostly around um, sandy feet, yep. neoprene, mm -hmm. surfboard wax, and very cold water. Um, I first experienced it on Barra, uh, Barra, Barra, um, and uh, summer's up, up in the Hebrides surfing. Um, it's beautiful landscape to walk across. It smells amazing. Just when, you've, when you're exhausted, you're sunburnt yeah. in the Hebrides. <laughs> uh, and lying down in the smell of the macker, it's just beautiful. It, 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 it is one of those landscapes best appreciated from a horizontal position. But um, I, I, on the smell point, I do feel slightly bad about that because because I kept saying as we go around to John, right? I kept saying to John, oh, it smells amazing here. And he had like, he, John has no sense of smell, right? So some people are like that, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's called enosmia. Um, and uh, yeah, I felt a bit guilty because I was like, oh, like all these amazing stuff. But I, there's plenty of other stuff to appreciate. Exactly. Right? Beautiful colour palettes. Like throughout the year, you get the kind of the whites and the yellows and then into the the mature purples, the, the red clover comes through. And uh, just that kind of, it, going back to the, the smell side of things, it has a slightly kind of, obviously seasidey sort of tangy, salty smell, but there's, I think John mentioned it when in his chat about the sort of the calcium carbonate uh -huh. from all the shells that form the, the, the dunes and into the, the soil. Um, it definitely has a really kind of, for me, it has that smell as well. It's different from being on the beach. It's different from being in a dune. It's 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 just different and i think to really get a feel for it you need to see it and yeah. smell it and experience it with the full kind of gamut of senses yeah it's definitely and being there and this you know the spikiness of the shorter grass in your feet and then all the wildflowers and stuff i mean the other thing that really jumped out to me that i did not know before i went right that john explained was that whilst it is a special habitat the plants that grow there the wildflowers are not actually in a lot of ways all that special they are the kind of wildflowers that would have been ubiquitous, right, in, in farmed land, in other land, you know, grazed land, um, right across the UK. But it's, it's just that the macker is like a last refuge for them, which obviously is fantastic for macker. But is that, I find that quite sad. Yeah, definitely. And I think you find the edges of the fields, you find the edges yeah. of, of where the macker is. It does creep and kind of permeate a little bit into the, the agricultural areas and into that managed land. 
but there's often quite sort of firm barriers where it stops yeah. a road edge a fence and uh, it does it does make you sad that those are what we should be seeing in a lot of a lot more places yeah, yeah but that yeah. combination is is really special yeah nevertheless I, I cannot recommend strongly enough to anybody who gets a chance, you know, if you find yourself anywhere on any of those islands or the little bits of mainland in the north coast and stuff where there's also Macher, you know, have a lie down and a listen even and a, a smell. Even on a drink day today, even on a drink in day, your waterproofs, you know, it's totally worth it. It would be totally worth it. Well, that is it for us for this week. We hope it's been worth a listen. Don't forget, we want to hear what you think. Uh, you can get in touch with us uh, via Twitter at RSBB Scotland or you can email us podcast.scotland at rsbb.org.uk. What should we be covering? Uh, what nature news do you have? And how did we do? We do really want to hear from you. And if you do get in contact with us, we will be telling everyone about it. We will be. And, and also, <laughs> I, I actually have a brief challenge Ooh. right for 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 our listeners which is when i when i go on the platform that that hosts this it tells me where in the world people are downloading it oh. right so currently we have downloads from all the in, the permanently inhabited continents of the world i'm discounting antarctica and <laughs> um, uh, other than south america mm -hmm. so i'm pretty pleased like that's folk pretty in Asia, good going. folk in north america but 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 um, but we need we need we need South America, right? Need so South if America. you've got if you've got like a pal in Caracas, I've got a pal in Antarctica actually. You got a pal in Antarctica? I do. All oh, right, can you write, <laughs> right? Okay, right. Let's let's see. But okay, that next time we will let you know. Okay, we'll email our pal in Antarctica and we'll see we'll see if we complete the continental challenge. But anyway. Even if we don't, we're, we're still happy to have listeners wherever they are. So thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Bye.